Welcome to Dire Desires, life lessons from classic erotic thrillers. I'm Molly Weisenberg. I'm Matthew Amster Burton. And I'm Abby Circotella. I, I can provide for this podcast family. You do not have to get jobs. <laughs> oh, oh, good. I'm so glad because uh, because this week's movie really left me feeling like I need a, a man to be a good family man to me. Yep. Speaking of which, let's talk about what this week's movie is. This week's movie, uh, I, I was in charge of doing the summary. I'm going to let you guys see what kind of job I've done of this. It is it is an absolute disaster over here. All right. This week's movie is Disclosure, directed by Barry Levinson, made in 1994. And it's based on a Michael Crichton novel of the same yep. name. This movie, I feel like I need to say right up front, it is two hours and eight minutes too fucking long. Oh, <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a travesty. Oh, my God. It just went on and on and on and on and on. Okay, so I'm going to begin the summary here, uh, which I think is going to take me about two hours and eight minutes. So (laughs) let me just let me just run down the cast really quickly so that our our listeners will understand who we're talking about. So our, our two big stars here are Michael Douglas. He plays Tom Sanders who, uh, as we are at pains to understand, is a, a newly committed family man. He works for a company called Digicom, which makes uh, all sorts of computer stuff that was hard to understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> computer, 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 computer. Yeah. Who gets the sense that the script writer, I mean, first of all, the script of this movie is garbage. But also, did you get the sense that the script writer is like, uh, I don't know, I guess his name is like Tom Sanders and he works at Digicom. Yeah, it's good enough, whatever. <laughs> totally, totally. So Michael Douglas is Tom Sanders. All right. His boss is Bob Garvin, who is played by Donald Sutherland. And I got to tell you guys, I'm going to come back to this. <laughs> I think this is Donald Sutherland's sexiest moment. Donald Sutherland is awesome. I love him in everything. I wanted him to play all the parts in the movie. I wanted him to get on top of me. (laughs) Um, No, anyway. So, yeah, Donald Sutherland, that's Tom Sanders' boss. The the third really big star here is Demi Moore. Some people would say she's the biggest star. She plays Meredith Johnson, who also works at Digicom. All right. Does everybody feel like they're, they're ready to proceed? Yeah, I just realized I blamed the script writer, but I, I guess these are probably the names from the original Michael Crichton book. So this is all Michael Crichton's fault. It is. It is. So is that that horrible theme park with dinosaurs in it where a lot of people died. Yes, he was responsible for the deaths of um, of Newman and all those other people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. this movie, this movie opens. Um, it is morning. We hear the sounds of blissful domesticity. It's Tom Sanders and his wife at their, you know, upper middle class home. They're getting their family ready for school. They leave together in their wood paneled. What do you call that car? A woody? It's like a Jeep. What's the big Jeep called? Jeep SUV called? I don't know. Wagoneer or something. Yes. They leave. um, You can see the Seattle skyline. They're clearly on Bainbridge Island. Anyway, they are they're heading out there in a hurry to get started on their day. They both work. And we know that Michael Douglas is super excited and super tense because he is going to find out today that he is getting promoted to VP of his company. Yeah. His wife is super proud of him and she thanks him for all the help he did at home that morning, which sounded like, I don't know, just kind of like yelling at the kids to put toothpaste on their toothbrushes. Yeah. But you know, he's a dad. So like that's worth a thousand points. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. He lent his sperm and that right. makes him a family man. So um, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but there, there's a shot of the, the Jeep Wagoneer driving through a parking lot. And then all of a sudden the kids are gone from the back seat. It was a yeah. seamless school drop off. <laughs> yeah. I remember being like, what happened to the kids? They didn't even stop the car. 
It was amazing. I was especially uh, yeah. excited because the daughter wore a hat in the backseat of that car that I owned. Oh. That oh, denim wait. hat that's like curved up at the top with like a big sunflower pin. Wasn't that a Blossom hat? Maybe. I've never seen TV Blossom. show Blossom. I've never seen it, but I wore that hat. Oh excited. my gosh. Wow. Yes. It feels good, doesn't it? To see yourself <laughs> reflected on the yeah. screen. It really was yeah. a game changer for me. What was your relationship with your dad like? Was he ever home or was he always at the <laughs> office uh, like doing computer stuff? <laughs> my dad was actually the principal of the school that I went oh, to. That's so worth. I saw him all the time. Did he ever turn to your mom in the car uh, on the way to work and say, we're going to be rich? Like, super rich when this promotion goes through. Did he ever say that? Yeah. And then my mom was like, we're already rich. We don't need any more money. It was like uh, word for word the same. I felt yes. again, represented. Yes. Okay. So then we see some, uh, you know, what I did like here is that this movie was clearly shot in Seattle. We see some yeah. like Pioneer Square buildings. Then he arrives at the office, which is this like very 90s chic brick and glass situation. And you see him walk in and then he sees a woman with like hot legs and yeah. high heels going up the stairs and you immediately see him like appreciatively checking out her legs and then heading up the stairs and i got the impression that like he wasn't planning to go that way but then he was like oh legs yes must follow <laughs> and that was to me right i think so i think so then we see him interact with his secretary uh who, who will eventually get a name but it doesn't really matter because she's just the secretary but then he smacks her ass with a pad of paper like we're really getting so much information about this Michael Douglas character that really it doesn't tell us anything about who he is, but we're learning that he is a family man, but that he still loves the ladies. That's right. Yeah. Again and again in the in the 80s and 90s, Michael Douglas got to star in a movie playing a business asshole. Yes. <laughs> Why did we allow that to happen so many times? OK, then a colleague comes along. I think this colleague, we later find out his name is Phil and he's like the legal counsel for the company. He comes along and he's like, I hear a rumor. I shouldn't tell you this, but dude, you're getting passed over for VP and uh, you may be out of a job. And then he says, how are you? Are you OK? Do you want a Prozac? <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, you know, suddenly our hero's hopes are dashed. Uh, we find out that the company is in the middle of this merger. It's a hundred million dollar merger. Garvin, the boss, is like really into this. And we find out that he's, you know, tap tapped somebody else to be VP. And we find out that it is this sexy lady named Meredith Johnson, played by Demi Moore. She's mm -hmm. hanging out in Garvin's office. They are thick as thieves. And we quickly learn that Tom Sanders and Meredith Johnson once had a thing. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. She looks so much younger than him, though, right? Did you feel like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was I a baby like face to me more. I've never seen her look so young. Um, I, I felt like she might have just graduated from college or something. <laughs> and now I mean, she's VP. Just she's a woman. How do they have enough time for like a history? I know. It was like, so long ago, but she looks like he said she was like 33 at some point. Right. Well, and know. meanwhile, he's got kids who look to be like maybe eight Pretty? years old or so. No. So don't add up. The numbers don't add up at all. Anyway, but meanwhile, guys, we have brought along uh, into our cast of, of celebrities, uh, of a new celebrity whose name I had to look up because I didn't remember it. Do you guys remember Dennis Miller? This I comedian do. From the 90s. Vaguely. Yeah, so, like after 9-11 became a horrible Internet person. Oh, he did. Did he become like yeah. a conspiracy theorist or something? Oh, just kind of like a right wing Islamophobic guy. That seems right. Well, he yeah. plays a character named Mark Lewin, who's one of Tom Sanders underlings. And this is going to be important later. Mm hmm. But so so we've got Tom Sanders. This is all still the first morning. All right. <laughs> he finds out that Meredith Johnson's going to be the VP. He's got big feelings about it. And then Meredith comes up to him and says, how about coming to my office for a bottle of wine at seven and we can talk about plans or something like that. OK, guys, she welcomes him into her office. She immediately starts doing some really confusing things like asking to see family photos of his his kids and then also like whispering sweet nothings in his ear at one point she says 
rub my shoulders and I'll listen to your problems. Yep. The, so weird. This was the scene where I realized, like, oh, the dialogue in this movie was written by, uh, like, an early artificial intelligence trying to understand <laughs> how humans talk. Because totally. like, every line in this scene, it was like, no one would say that. He would not say, things are different now. <laughs> you know, the romance novel title generator... Mm -hmm. It was done by like artificial intelligence or whatever, which we've discussed before. I would love to see it based only on the content of this oh, movie. Yeah. It would be like, what would what would some of the titles be? It would be like, rub my shoulders and I'll fix your CD-ROM. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, guys. I'm going to try to like move this along, but oh, basically... Yeah, yeah. There's You're a, like seven minutes into the movie, Molly. I yeah, know. So much, so little time. We we find out that, so basically Tom's role at the company is that he is heading up the production of some new CD-ROM, right? Okay. Can we start talking about this Arkham now? Max? Because, like, I'm going to drive you crazy because this is oh. the only thing I want to talk about. Oh, no. <laughs> this is an erotic thriller podcast, Matthew, not a CD-ROM well, podcast. Okay, all, this is... Like, I'm waiting for Abby to say this was neither a thriller nor erotic because oh, like, that's coming. Literally nobody ever has sex in this movie, right? Yeah, there's only one. Yeah, there is only one sex scene. Okay, we'll get back to Archimax. Okay. Can't wait. Okay. Okay. Tom wants to talk about the problems with the Archimax prototype. Meredith downplays it. She forces herself on him. Basically, what we have here is a rape scene. Oh, yeah. Like straight up. He keeps saying no. She says, come on. While there's still a chance, we might get caught. And she forces herself on him, is like forcibly going down on him. And then the tables turn and he violently takes her. It, it, it's like it, it, I have no words for what this scene was. It was a rape. It was a it was a. It was, a. Uh, I don't know. Upsetting. It was just upset. <laughs> um, I have some more lines from it. She, has, she oh, says, nobody has to know and nobody gets hurt. <laughs> and then he rips off her underwear and she says, ooh, you bad boy. Yeah, this is like it, I said. It was it was like an early artificial intelligence. It's more like like it was written by like a like a fifteen year old. <laughs> like remember remember that podcast we listened to way back about about like the twelve year old who tried to write erotic fiction and had no idea how anything worked. Yes, yes, this is kind of spread, like that. Oh, uh, uh, spread. Um, and then she opened her legs <laughs> wider. <laughs> Can you open them? wider spread <laughs> the legs anyway no basically like what i was so confused because we've seen that michael douglas is super into hot legs and high heels yeah he thinks it's okay to slap his secretary on the ass with a pad of paper and yet yet he is a family he refers to himself at jokingly as family man of the year and so when when this super hot lady is trying to give him a blowjob, he's like, no, 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 no. Everything is different now. Like, I know right. that there's a like a, a difference, like a real qualitative difference there. But still, I was like, I felt like I was getting whiplash. Like, who is this dude? I don't think we ever found out even by the end of the movie. <laughs> I think you're right. So he sees at, at a certain point as he is beginning to mount her spreading yeah. her legs wider and wider. <laughs> uh, he sees his reflection. He sees his reflection in the window in front of him. And he's like, oh, I can't. I can't. So he gets up and he sort of like runs out of the office because she's basically like hurling obscenities and her body at him. And she runs after him with her dress open. I will remind everyone that they're still in the office. Yeah. Mm. Gorgeous. It's the office beautiful. is amazing. It would be a terrible place to work, even if everyone, everyone there wasn't a terrible person. Like, <laughs> terrible place to work because everyone can see what you're doing at all times. It was, in a certain sense, it was a little bit, like, rear window-y all over yeah. again. Yeah, like, I think that this is another erotic thriller theme. Like, like because so far these movies are pretty short on good writing, they need to have us, like, seeing things happening that we're not supposed to see happen to right. move the plot along. Yeah, very voice. Voyeuristic yeah. mm -hmm. and convenient. So she's running after him and she's screaming, you get back here and finish what you started or you're fucking dead. Yeah. 
She yells that out, right? Like, were the cleaning lady here, sir? Yes. Right. So is they that have what she... the cleaning lady. Yeah, I think they do. But there's that was a point where there was no one else in the office at all. I guess right. it doesn't seem like that ever happens again. But conveniently, that Monday night, there was no one there. And then he goes home, doesn't tell his wife, and then proceeds to have my favorite moment of the movie, which is a dream in which Bob Garvin, <laughs> aka Donald Sutherland, attempts to tongue kiss him. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes, finally, we've gotten to the gay part of the movie. It's about no. to get so much better. Sorry, yeah, Molly. Panic <laughs> part of the movie. <laughs> oh, anyway. Uh, okay, from there, uh, he gets to the office the next day, finds out that Meredith is trying to frame him. Now she's turned the tables and she is saying that he sexually harassed her, came on to her, etc. The wheels of the system are preparing to grind him down. Right. So he has to go lawyer up. He has to go lawyer up. Uh, he, around this time, starts receiving emails, some of which are, harass him and call him a pig. Some oh, of yeah. Which, right? I some forgot about email, that one. Some of the emails harass him and call him a pig. And then some of them are helpful, like go hire this lawyer. Or like sending him weird links. Yes. <laughs> The weirdest way possible. It wasn't like, here, just hire this lawyer. It was like, here, look at this newspaper article. The weirdest, most convoluted way to convey information. Oh, it really was. They're all signed a friend. Mm -hmm. Yes. He decides to lawyer up. Uh, by this point, we are at the beginning, I think, of the third day of this week. Uh, the wheels of justice turn fast here. Oh, very faster than than anywhere else. This is a recurring theme in this in these movies that like an incident will happen and then like some sort of trial will begin the next day. God, I love that. I, I love know the efficiency. Right. So anyway, there's a mediation. Ugh, there's lots of talk about about wine in the mediation. <laughs> so True. much talk about wine. There's I was so having a little bit of uh, PTSD listening to this because I was an assistant for a couple of years and one of my tasks was to track down Pappy Van Winkle every year. Right. Oh, my God. Abby, Which that's like, fantastic. Did you ever have to testify about this later in some sort of trial or mediation? Not yet, but I think it, it's very possible yeah. that it would come up. So I, I felt for this assistant. Mrs. Ross. I can't believe you remember all these names. Uh, yeah, nicely done. So uh, many names. What was the name? Do you know the name of Demise Moore's lawyer? Because he was awesome. Oh, my God. He like did such a great job of playing the like, you know, I'm going to zing you with my cross-examination lawyer. <laughs> zing. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, you know, Meredith is getting to everybody around the company. She's getting to all of Tom's underlings. One of them is only 23 and he just can't afford to stand up to her. He says, I'm 23. I can't wake up tomorrow and find out I'm out of the computer business. Fair. <laughs> I felt that way when I was 23. Yeah. The computer business. It's very small and niche, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. There's like, like, one like, company to work for. <laughs> yeah, the next time they're going to, oh, like you were caught up in that intrigue at Digicom. Like, you know, you're great at programming or CD-ROMs or whatever, but we're not going to hire you because of something. <laughs> Everyone's afraid of Meredith. But everything is going to work out here in just a second, guys, because Tom remembers that uh, this is just where things got really start. Well, where things continued uh -huh. to get confusing. Tom remembers that he made a phone call that didn't go through when he was like rubbing Meredith's shoulders in her office two nights ago. And now there's a recording of the assault. And so he is vindicated and triumphant music plays and he punches the air <laughs> and Meredith is out of the company and the symphony rises and you're and everyone is like oh good the movie's over but yes. no but it's not it's not he gets another email from somebody who seems to be helpful who says like nothing's what it seems keep going then there's a really weird scene guys where he he comes upon a notebook in the office with a whole bunch of calculations on it for the cd-roms there's also a syringe i never understood oh, the syringe i was so confused by the syringe i thought i thought that was going to come up in some way nope Apparently, no. working on CD-ROMs involves a syringe. Yep. So, you know, th uh, anyway, things are ominous. They're setting him up again. I, at this point, I'm like, who cares this much about Tom Sanders? It, it, the whole world revolves around Tom Sanders. Who the fuck cares about this dude? And yet everyone is plotting to get Tom Sanders. So what yeah. does he do, guys? He enters VR. <laughs> 
<laughs> he goes in through he likes okay I, this is a very long story but <laughs> he mind blowing he breaks into a hotel room where like one of the heads of the company they're merging with is staying and they have a vr like demo set up in there they and brought so much equipment to this hotel room it was like <laughs> I mean, like a desktop computer and like a <laughs> VR camera and like, like a, a server room. room. The VR camera. Whoever had to cart all this shit into this hotel room, like that's the hero of the movie. The assistants I, are the heroes of this movie. Yes. <laughs> I love that the VR setup involves like beams of like violet colored light and you just stand in the beams of light. And I'm kind of amazed that you don't like teleport somewhere. It's awesome. Or become a saint. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, he enters VR into this area called the Digicom Corridor. I can't even believe this all happened yeah. in the same movie. And he starts <laughs> looking through files with his special little VR hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And in the meantime, Meredith is also getting into the Digicom corridor and he can see her deleting files and he knows she's deleting files because there's the word deleting that shows up on the screen all the time. But she also, her avatar shows up too. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. And she's Even like, though she's not wearing the helmet or anything, but like a big, right, a big she's just clicking animated things. picture of her appears and starts deleting stuff. Oh man, it's so tense. So tense because meanwhile, the, the the people who are staying in the hotel room are walking down the hall and we're starting to find out things about Malaysia. Oh, yes. And I, at this point, just wrote, what is going on in Malaysia? <laughs> That's the whole know. story, actually. Wife of the show, Lori, said, this is the least suspenseful suspense scene I've ever seen. <laughs> he basically winds up tiptoeing out of the hotel room. Yeah. The next thing you know, uh, all the stuff that he learned in VR means that Meredith is outed. She sabotaged the product. She's fired. Then we find out that Stephanie Kaplan, who has been like this like third string character who, who we haven't really cared about. She was also it, passed over for VP. That's like the only right. thing that she was mentioned in. Yes. Well, she <laughs> rages back to the fore and she is now brought up as VP. And and our, our hero, Tom Sanders, is so happy about this somehow. He turns to a young man next to him in the audience as the new VP is speaking. And it turns out to be the new VP's son who works for a man in UW chemistry named Arthur Friend, a friend. And so the son is able to access a friend's computer and Stephanie through her son, through a friend's computer has been warning Tom about what was going on. And she's the one sending the helpful emails and the movie's over. This made so little sense <laughs> to like to spoof someone's email. You have to like get into their office, their physical office, because that right. has never been true. Not in 1994 or ever. Why didn't Stephanie just like pass him a note or something or just have one of their meetings? Everybody's meeting all right. the time in this stupid office and making their plans with glass walls. Why, Why can't they also meet? Was Stephanie also the one sending him the emails that said just like, pig i don't or whatever I, I didn't even get that she was like working through her son because the son kept acting i don't know his face was very smug at the end like oh right. yeah it was me all along and you didn't I, do anything like who are you so you're gonna get fired as a research assistant i hope so there was something about this final scene where stephanie gets promoted that i found so angering and perplexing which okay. was she makes a big show of saying like when meredith got promoted she like didn't mention the department heads and this was a sign that she was gonna like the heads were gonna roll and like she was gonna make big changes but when stephanie was promoted she's like i want to recognize the department heads and named off the young guy, the 23-year-old guy, Dennis Miller, the woman in their group, <laughs> Michael Douglas. And I'm like, those are not department All heads. work together in the same <laughs> thing, right? Work for Michael Douglas in his department. What the fuck is going on? Also, I love that Stephanie's moment of triumph, she finally got VP. And like this time really broke the glass ceiling. And she still made it all about Tom Sanders at the end. Oh, well, I, I mean, obviously. 
Everyone cheered for him so much louder than they cheered for her own promotion. Guys, this brings me to my first life lesson. Life lessons. Let me preface this, guys. So I remember reading some sort of article on Medium or something not that long ago that was like, no one is ever thinking about you. And it was a way of like calming people's anxieties about like what what people think of them by basically reminding all of us that in any interaction, we are all just thinking about ourselves. No one's ever really thinking about you. Well, actually, this movie is an important corrective, I think, because Mm -hmm. that Medium article cannot possibly be true. Everyone is always thinking about Michael Douglas. That is actually what's going on in the whole world. At any given time, everyone's thinking about Michael Douglas. It's true. I I wasn't living in Seattle in 1994 when this movie was made, but I moved to Seattle a couple years later and people were still talking about (laughs) Michael Douglas. What is Tom Sanders doing right now? What's he wearing? Who's he fucking? That's all. All we cared about how much did he help with the kids this morning is he family right. man of the year the archimax project going did were they able to pull it together has it actually gone obsolete even his daughter was like preoccupied by him throughout the entire week because at the at the end the last day when they drop him off at the ferry she's like dad I never believed those things they were saying about you. And he was like, oh, thanks, honey. So that means like all week she was hearing whispers of his sexual harassment. I find it so comforting, though, to know that people are still not thinking about me. They're just thinking about Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah, it's oddly soothing. Yeah, everybody, everybody cares about Michael Douglas. It's beautiful. (laughs) So one of my lessons, being a, a woman myself, I, I didn't know this, but I, now I can enter the world knowing that women are stronger, smarter, and they don't fight fair. Oh, yeah. God, yes. And we were taught this again and again in this movie, um, starting with the rando on the ferry who like commiserates oh, with Michael Douglas. They're like on a commuter ferry and they must see each other all the time. And he basically is like, bitching and moaning how women are taking all of their jobs and he used to work for 20 years and I think the computer business and now we can't get anything because the women are taking all of our jobs and then I think who said that line was Dennis Miller he had all kinds of quips and one-liners it sounds like something that he said yeah Yeah, basically like you can't fight that you can't fight the women they're stronger they're smarter and they don't fight fair so like you might as well just give up it's so hard being a man So, yeah, so I learned that and I really think I'm going to take it with me as I move forward in this life. I think it's going to bring you a lot of peace, Abby. I think it's going to help guide your actions. Yeah, Meredith seemed at peace a lot. So (laughs) she's real chill. Yeah, (laughs) she rolls zen on that Stairmaster. Oh, Stairmaster. That was super 90s. Yeah, guys, why don't we have a Stairmaster in our corporate headquarters? (laughs) I think we're going to get one installed. I mean, we could probably like get our hands on this on this set cheap at this point. Right. And just move in. It's there's plenty of space. (laughs) I keep losing one or the other of you. And here, I'm just going to turn my computer off. I mean, my... Guys, I'm leaving the recording. It was so fun, no, no, but no, no. I'm I'm done now. Don't cancel okay. Arkham Max. <laughs> oh, I think okay. Molly just went into the corridor. I'm rifling through all your files. Hurry, get in here and delete them. <laughs> delete, 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 delete. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I have a lesson. This seemed to be like a very important lesson from this movie. And that is that the very worst place in the world is Austin, Texas. <laughs> oh, because, yes. Like, seven times in the movie, like he keeps <laughs> getting threatened, like we're going to transfer you to Austin. Like if you, you know, if you don't like shape up and like drop this lawsuit, we're transferring you to Austin and you're going to lose everything. And at one point he says to his wife, like they're going to transfer you to Austin. And she's like, oh. <gasps> Austin. <laughs> Every time it's like as if they were talking about like a pit of hell where they're going to be crushed by a rock every day. That yes. is how this movie thinks of Austin, Texas. Yes. 
Um, oh my God, that is so true. It was a recurring theme. I mean, it was constant. I, I felt yeah. really bad for Austin by the end. It was pummeled. Yeah, like, can you imagine if we lived in Austin, we were watching this movie, <laughs> like, I mean, Austin seems pretty cool, right? Like really good barbecue. Right. Yeah. So my next lesson, I, you know, I feel like we are actually already doing a pretty good job of living this lesson here on Dire Desires. Oh, okay. oh good. What I learned is that you should always record everything. Mm. Oh, yes. Good point. This is an important lesson, both for Tom Sanders. It's really important if you're working in the computer industry, super important if you think you might be sexually harassed or be a sexual harasser. Mm, or if so, you're President Nixon. But what I wanted to say is that you should always record everything. And so I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm taking this to heart. I've set up video cameras all <laughs> over my house. And actually, I'm really excited about then being able to use them body of evidence style Smart. to, you know, mm. to, to watch them because it's always more fun to watch friends than strangers. <laughs> that is what that's what she said. That, Maybe. That what they, Do you have like a list of old men with bad hearts that you're yeah. trying to? Well, I've been casing this old guy who lives at the end of my street. He cool. is so nice, though. It doesn't matter. I mean, stronger, smarter, and we don't play fair, Molly. Oh, so that's move right. In on that old guy, as long as oh, he's rich. Okay. Well, um, can we erase this recording though, because <laughs> this is not the the one I want to actually no, be no. recording. I think you just produced a body of evidence. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Okay. Your disclosure has been okay. noted. Oh, there we go. I got a valuable lesson from this movie. It was from uh, the the lawyer, Demi Moore's lawyer in the in the uh, mediation hearing, which is that the the term boner is slang for erection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned that too. I also wrote this down. <laughs> Who had any idea that that was, was so case? great? Like, you know, this very like straight laced old guys, like, uh, and uh, and you were talking about boners at the <laughs> office. Is that correct? And isn't it true that boner is a slang term for an erection? <laughs> isn't it true that, yeah, the whole mediation was gold, I thought. Everyone's sitting around the table treating everything so seriously and dark. Uh -huh. And they're all yelling about sex and listening to recordings and talking about illicit things. And they keep handing over to the wife who just looks sad and disappointed at Michael Douglas the whole time. But then later on, she, she does yell at him for a second, but then immediately forgives him when someone enters the room. Well, I mean, he is Tom Sanders. Like yeah, we, you're right. You can't fight it. <laughs> you can't stay mad at Tom Sanders. I found it so interesting that, like, you know, uh, of all things in this movie for them to stop and define. So they define boner. And yet this movie, as with my summary of it, is basically a word salad of yes. nonsense computer jargon. Okay, Molly, I am going to take this as an opportunity to segue into talking about Archimax. Oh, because no. <laughs> Please. <laughs> What the fuck is Archimax? I think it's the CD-ROM. I, I understand it's a CD-ROM, but here's where I got confused. They kept talking about how it had a flicker on the screen. Why does a CD-ROM not have a oh, screen? Yeah, you're right. right. That was a big problem, right? Oh. Right. So then I was thinking, okay, maybe it's one of those like portable DVD players with a built-in screen, mm -hmm. but that didn't exist yet. They did have laptops, but then they would have just called it a laptop. They called it a CD-ROM player, which is not a thing. Yeah, and we never see, like, they keep talking about how the prototypes were perfect and these prototypes were the best thing ever. Why is it going wrong now? But we never got to see a prototype, right? No, and at one point there was, like, a bunch like a bunch of bags in a box that I think mm -hmm. were bags of Archimax prototypes or Archimax drive. This movie did not know what Archimax was and didn't seem to care. But we yeah, we had to get two play-by-plays of the VR technology, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that was important. That was that was the part of the movie that came true. <laughs> That played off. Yeah, because when they're when they have the first showing, which he's late for because she tells him that the, the meeting time is pushed back when it was actually pushed forward anyway. So he looks even more incompetent because she's working smarter and stronger, guys. They talk about how this is just a prototype. And so the um, protocols aren't all in place. So you can access all the like secret finan financials uh, at any point in time. And Donald Sutherland is like, ha ha, no, don't do that. And he jokes around. But then no one ever, you know, hacks into this to find any of the financials until Michael Douglas uh, right. decides to exploit this. When he hacks into the, when he breaks into the hotel room and uh, and hacks into uh, the corridor, there was a warning that the data should not be 
be duplicated or fed to another database. And the word fed made me laugh so hard. I didn't see that. <laughs> I loved this database because it just looked like a huge, like old university hallway. It was like marbled pillars and arches. And I guess you were supposed to walk on this special mat to physically walk to the files that you wanted to find. Oh, yeah. You and couldn't search. There's no search function. I couldn't even tell what the what the file was until you were looking directly at it. If you weren't looking at it, the name would disappear. And there's like hallways and staircases, and like you could get lost in this thing forever and never find what you're looking for. He finds it in three seconds. It's all the Malaysian like stuff that she was she was exploiting and getting into. So he basically solves the mystery in three seconds before yeah. she deletes it. Everyone is I- wetting themselves over the corridor, and like the corridor is is somewhere you would send someone as punishment. It's yeah, like- it looks like a jail like a futuristic jail all yes. right you're going in the corridor and you have to look and you have to find this one file no 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 Ooh, you bad boy i also loved that the helper was an angel i thought that was yes what what what, what are they trying to tell us with that like no and, and it was a guy too so i don't know like women are not to be trusted like if it was right. a woman angel to be a female angel to help him like he wouldn't have trusted her maybe and i don't right. know you bad bad boy you fed this data to another database. you have to be punished. <laughs> guys hold on wait what about so so the other like fantasy place that shows up in this movie is disneyland there is so much talk of tickets to disneyland in yes. this movie what is the deal with the tickets to disneyland for is it muhammad some colleague right. of the wife's he's what yeah. did anything ever come of this did i black out when this finally like came to fruition so okay so i think what happened is i think muhammad was the guy working in the malaysia plant who like got Tom Sanders the information about like that Meredith was sabotaging Archimax. And like the reason Muhammad was was willing to do so much work to help out Tom is that Tom <laughs> got Muhammad tickets to Disneyland. Oh, they, yes! kept, they mentioned this throughout, like, oh, you have to get the tickets, you have to get the tickets. And then they call it the end. But I didn't get that he worked at the Malaysia plant and helped him that way. And that's very possible. But I just thought that he stumbled across all this information inside the VR Thing. maybe oh but the, whatever it was he helped him in some way like show the real demi more right at, at a certain point like so when we finished this movie because ash watched it with me it, it took us two nights to watch <laughs> this whole movie we watched the first 52 minutes the first night and we were like all right we're halfway through we can do this it was so <laughs> long last night when it was over i turned to ash and i was like so what did you think and ash was like i just kept wanting to be like and ash like waves their hand through the air in like a moving right along movement and then again and i was like can you tell me what that means ash gave a whole list of questions number one was get on with it number two what's up with malaysia number three what's up with disneyland who cares about tom sanders and why isn't he more attractive oh well, that's yeah. a great question. His hair is atrocious. It's it's bad. This is this is a two hour and seven minute erotic thriller. I mean, afterwards, like wife of the show, Lori said, why are you doing this movie when it's not an erotic thriller? Yeah. <laughs> like if you look on list of erotic thrillers, this is always on here. This is a movie where nobody actually ever has sex. There's one sort of like disturbing sex scene where where eventually, you know, he pushes her away and runs off. Michael Douglas, there could be a scene where, you know, he gets home and his wife has all her legal papers spread out on the bed. Like, why wasn't there a scene where he like, you know, shoves those aside and they and he has sex with his wife? Why doesn't Donald Sutherland get to have sex with anyone? Why is there no sex in this movie? Can I tell you something perplexing? So Roger Ebert gave this this film two out of four stars and his criticism was it is quote basically a launch pad for sex scenes what what movie was roger ebert watching wait a minute did we watch like like, did we watch the wrong movie did we watch the wrong movie or like a like a like a expurgated version i don't know i mean also that sex scene was so conflicting like like there are moments where you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like maybe there's like a, a half second where you're like, they're gonna, they're gonna do it. But right. leading up to that, it's like you're basically like watching a rape scene. Yeah, this was not a, a movie about sex. Well, this no. was a movie about 
this was a movie about Power. sex in which sex never happened. Right. I feel like you, there are like two ways your movie can be erotic. You can like have a bunch of sex in it or you can like have like, you know, just simmering tension where like, you know, I want to see these people fuck and like, when are they going to? Are they going to? Mm-hmm. There was none of either of those things. No, it was like within the first 15, 10 minutes that the, the one sexual-ish scene happens. I was so surprised that this happens right away. I thought she would like be playing the seductress a little bit more. And during that sex scene, listen, I know that like, we're watching this 25 years after the fact, but I just don't, I, I cannot understand how Michael Douglas was ever a sex symbol. And did you guys notice that in that sex scene, she is constantly, like not only is she dying to fuck him like she's never been with anybody better or hotter but she keeps talking about how good his body looks he's wearing like a pair of chinos and like a like a shirt and he looks like a dude who just works in an office like what is going on and because it was the 90s those the shirt and chinos are three sizes too large they're huge yes Maybe she was just so excited that he was just a little bit thinner than she thought because after the clothes were coming off, she's like, oh, you actually do have a good body under here. After watching the first 52 minutes, then when I was sleeping that night, I had one of those like half conscious moments in the middle of the night. I wasn't fully awake, but I was thinking about things and I was already thinking about what lessons I was taking away from this movie. And honestly, one of them was Donald Sutherland (laughs) under underappreciated sex object. I like he has such a good smile. He's so fucking devious. Like Mm. I totally wanted to fuck Donald Sutherland. If there had been a scene where like Donald Sutherland and Demi Moore are like plotting the downfall of Tom Sanders and like they seal it by by having like yeah. sex. Oh my god, I would have been all in for that. Right? Yeah, like a yes. villain's like evil laugh, but they decided yes. to like copulate and that's what that's their evil laugh. Oh my god, I love that you used copulate. <laughs> <laughs> they decided to procreate and no. to beget to beget a new company. <laughs> <laughs> the merger we need in order to really complete this merger yeah. we must no, seal it seal it with our genitalia i kept waking up in the night and thinking about archimax that is not a joke <laughs> you just kept hey, trying guys, to figure it out hold on i have to tell you guys about this amazing uh the this amazing line from wikipedia when i looked up because uh, to be honest by the time i finished writing this summary i was so confused by my own <laughs> summary that I went and looked it up on Wikipedia just to make sure that I hadn't like grossly misunderstood something. Wikipedia describes this as, quote, a combination thriller and slight mystery in an office setting. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you would have heard that before. One of those words is right. I don't know if we would have watched this if we would have read that description. Can you, can you even believe what a subtle burn that is? Combination that is, thriller and slight mystery. That is <laughs> devastating. In an office yeah. setting. <laughs> and true, office it was setting. very slight. May I share a lesson? Yes. The lesson is that uh, Molly's dad was right because I know he always made jokes about faxing things. Yes! <laughs> At the end of the movie, quite unnecessarily, I think, like they get this enormously long fax from Malaysia that's like like a CVS receipt length of fax. <laughs> and somehow it has video. The meeting's starting, like, like we need the fax. And then he doesn't show the fax, he shows a video. And I really got the impression that they faxed the video because if they like transferred the video electronically, why did they need to fax anything? I think at this part in the movie, I'd stopped even looking at the screen. <laughs> uh, again, I think this is another time that the assistants are the heroes, are the yeah. real heroes, guys, because the assistant is like working feverishly with him. And like, I don't know how you slice all those faxes into readable material because they put them all into fire fold, file folders and send them out to everybody. And she like no. helps them take Meredith down. And so I think that she's, I don't know, she's one of the real heroes of the film. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because Cindy. then she, because then the Cindy, oh wow, nice. The tables right. turn and then she gets to smack him on the ass. And yeah, so that was the real lesson for the movie. We should just all get to sexually harass each other at all times. If we were all just flailing around in, in pure, like uh, animalistic yeah. sexual behavior. Uh, when you put it that what way, it's not pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, like I'm just still so baffled by the inclusion of this movie in an erotic thriller category like this movie was one of the least fulfilling i've ever seen in terms of sex scenes like yeah. 
in sex I, scenes I, and in action thriller. Like there was no guns, there was no chase, there was no suspense. Like well, I no didn't one care. Was ever in danger. The biggest, like you know tension point in the movie was is tom sanders going to get transferred to austin yes that was the worst thing that could have possibly happened i heard actually that so the original uh the original novel that this was based on was apparently even more like blatantly sexist like you know sort of sweet hapless ridiculous nothing of a man is put up against this sexual animal Still, what was the thing we talked about last week? Like, is every movie going to feature like a woman who is a sexual aggressor? Is that like a requirement for erotic thrillers? Right. She has to like trap, trap a man like in her web. And she has some scheme to like crush him and take power, take his power. With her thighs. With her, yeah, crush him, crush his head between her thighs and and uh, and eat, eat the sweet meat inside and take his <laughs> Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, Madonna. <laughs> that movie was much better than this movie, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I think it was. It was coherent. It was sexier. Yeah. Yeah, at least it. I mean, looking back on it, the sex in that movie was very satisfying compared to this. Yes. I mean, because it existed, for one thing. <laughs> yeah. Step okay. one. Yeah. I, I think, like, for me, just being for me personally, the most satisfying sex there is, is the sex that actually happens. Yeah. I, I like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's my lesson. <laughs> um, one thing we haven't talked about is his email. Like his, oh, his, I mean, we yeah. talked about it a little bit, but like, First of all, like I got the sense that in the beginning of the movie, one of his kids is like, Daddy, you have an email. Like, because in 1994, getting an email was an exciting thing. And then, like, at the end of that day, he gets a second email. <laughs> but, like, whenever he had an email, there was like a big rotating E on the, sc- on the yes! screen of the computer. Yes! And I was like, oh, I kind of want this, like the the disclosure Gmail notifier that just like every time I have an email, like a big, like translucent rotating E pops up on my screen. And then when you click to open the email, it opens like a trifold letter. Yes. Yes. And you can never tell who sends it. Wait, did this movie invent paperless post? Maybe. Oh, I think it did. (laughs) It's real reminiscent of Yes. Okay, so oh we got gosh. something good out of it. Yeah, I love. I mean, paperless post. I love that whole. You know, when the when the the invitation comes popping out of the envelope. My God, that is so sexual. So much more sexual than this movie. Yeah, no, I got one and it just opened up and just said pig. But then I read further and I was invited <laughs> to a pig roast. It was great. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, well, guys, we've learned so much already from this horrible movie. We yeah, figured out I where know. Paperless Post got its its beautiful user interface thing. We definitely have settled what Archimax is. I'm going to tell myself <laughs> so I can sleep tonight. Um, uh, we learned what a boner is, finally. So true. Yes. We learned what the truth about women. I've mm-hmm. discovered how much I like fantasizing about Donald Sutherland. He is also, a silver fox in this. Yeah, and oh, he has, he has oh, one yes. of the most amazing speaking voices of any person who has lived, I think. Is there a way to like search uh, like an audiobook that's read by Donald Sutherland. Like, can oh, I just search I by like by narrator? Because I just want to fall asleep with his voice in my my ear, saying like merger, merger, <laughs> merger. <laughs> I I mean, for your birthday, oh, I could I could capture the audio from this movie and just loop. <laughs> Oh, you make you give me the best birthday presents. I still didn't understand why everyone was out to get Tom Sanders. Like if she made the mistake at the beginning by like using the number five instead of the number seven air purifiers oh, in the factory. <laughs> Like if she did that, then just fire her and then she's in trouble and then like everyone's fine. So why did there's the convoluted plot that she had to seduce him for sexual harassment so that he would be gone by Tuesday so that they could blame everything on him? Why did Donald even go along with this plot? They should have had her seducing him in order to she was like the mastermind. I think that would have no, been no, if fun. you if you like pull at one little frayed thread from the plot of this movie, the entire thing collapses into a pile of garbage and <laughs> to a pile of hard drives. Into a pile yeah. of broken hard drives, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and then you just have to ship the whole thing off to Austin and forget about it. There was one other thing that I wanted to be sure to mention, which was the soundtrack to this movie. 
So the mm. score of the movie was written by Ennio Morricone, who is a great movie composer. And some of the music was actually good, even though it like didn't really fit the movie. It didn't fit. Yeah. It had no tension. But here are some of the titles of the tracks from the soundtrack. Yes. Serene Family. Virtual <laughs> Reality. Unemployed. <laughs> Sex and <What>? Computers. <laughs> Sex and Computers. I wish the movie was yes. called Sex and Computers. Computers and Work. Sex and Power. <laughs> and finally... Sex, power, and computers. Oh my God! How did they keep? How did they keep the track of these? When they, oh, my God. oh no! No, we're not doing sex and computers right now. We're doing sex and power. Next is sex and computers. Okay, guys. And then sex, power, and computers. And then serene family. Oh Wait, God. this all brings up for me too. Like, so this movie is called Disclosure. There's a song from the soundtrack called Disclosure. What the heck is the disclosure here? Uh, maybe they should have disclosed a previous relationship and then it all would have been fine. Except it seemed like he did kind of go around telling everyone. Maybe if he had disclosed it to his wife right after it happened, instead of hiding those four claw marks that yes. he had, which we I don't think we've talked about the four perfect red claw marks that he has like under his shoulder and how when he gets home, he... um takes a shower and puts on his towel in the most unsuspicious <laughs> way <laughs> he got like the wife is coming in so she's gonna see those claw marks and so he just drapes the towel around his neck and he walks out of the shower which is the best way to dry off she happily pats his like dripping wet back which she has not toweled off it's not suspicious at all. Yeah, no, if I did that, my wife would be like, okay, like, did you get an embarrassing tattoo? You <laughs> just admit it. So, yeah, I don't understand the disclosure part of this. Nope, uh, me neither. Uh, wow. Gosh, I, I was really hoping you guys could explain this to me. Yeah, I mean, Michael Crichton is is dead, but maybe we can get Barry Levinson on the show to, to <laughs> answer some things. Let's get Michael Douglas on the show. He's going to be featured a lot. <laughs> Matthew, I think that yeah. we could channel Michael Crichton through you, oh. Mrs. Cubison style. <laughs> okay. Um, like one one time a woman said something slightly mean to me and I've never gotten over it. And also <laughs> I don't believe in climate change. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that was weird. I'm back now. <laughs> Visit Dire Desires on the web at diredesirespodcast.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash diredesirespodcast. You can donate to our show at diredesirespodcast.com slash donate. Dire Desires is produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Music for the show is by Audio Nautics. Until next time, live erotically. <laughs> <laughs>